Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Wednesday night, 7.30, 7.31. Apologies. It's always on me. Uh, this is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. Welcome in to this salary cap special edition uh, of the Buffalo football podcast. He's Ryan Talbot. Uh, I'm Matt Perino. We, were, we, as always, will be here to guide you through the show, but we're bringing on a couple experts. And uh, the first one, for, uh, nationally speaking, I mean, this guy is going on the tour right now uh, in terms of radio hits. I, I, I've, I've, I've really tried to catch up with a lot of his podcasts recently. Uh, Mike Gennetti from SpotTrack.com. He'll be up here first. Um, and, you know, he's going on all over the place, at, getting asked all the, you know, salary cap questions as we kind of wade through these uncertain waters ahead of free agency. We're going to dive into a lot of what uh, Brandon Bean has in front of him. Uh, with Mike uh, here over the next half hour. And then at eight o'clock, uh, a local expert that has really become, you know, risen to the forefront uh, of this salary cap uh, discussion in terms of Bill's Mafia. And that's Greg Tomset from Cover One. I, I love following his feed this time of year. He's always got different, um, you know, uh, ideas and, 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 and ways that the Bills can attack this thing. And, and we'll kind of tap in that into that tonight. If you haven't checked out uh, Cover One's uh, Greg, uh, uh, his salary cap special. It's two hours. I dove into it the other night. It's a really, it's a really good and educational watch. I definitely recommend it. Ryan Talbot, how are you tonight, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this show. Like you said, uh, it's an exciting time of the year. With you're already seeing a lot of teams around the league cutting players to save some cap space. You're going to see some restructures. Uh, so I'm really excited to to kind of dive right into this Bills roster and see what some of the options are for this team. I'm uh, going out of town this weekend. So if JJ Watt decides <laughs> he, he's going to decide on a team and it's really going to be the Buffalo Bills because I'm going out of town on Friday. I'm bringing my computer, but I was telling you I'm taking my son down to Cooperstown to check out the, uh, the baseball hall of fame. And I was actually looking um, at the map because my wife is a history and geography teacher and I don't know why she married me because I, I know nothing of geography and I lived here for 35 years. And um, 
<laughs> I was kind of checking it out because I think we're going to take Route 20 and kind of drop down and, and take the kind of scenic uh, route instead of going on the 90, you get kind of bored of that. And I was going to see like, how close is that to Oli and Salamanca? Maybe give a high five to my podcast partner. <laughs> it's really not. Uh, no. It's kind of out of the way. <laughs> very, yeah, very, very much so. But I appreciate the thought. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, funny, like, you know, you, you texted me earlier today and you said, Hey, did you see Mike Clayton's report, um, on, uh, or John Clayton's report on, uh, JJ Watt. And I said, you know what, it's, it's probably going to happen a perfect timing this weekend as I leave town, because why wouldn't it, uh, but we'll get, we'll get plenty into JJ Watt tonight, but in the green room right now is Mr. Mike Gennetti. We're going to bring him in from spottrack.com. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. How are you hey guys? My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, anytime. I mean, I, I, I was just talking about it at the top of the show and I, I, I follow your feed uh, a little bit more closely this time of year and you do great work, but man, where, where are you, where are you catching some, some winks right now? Because it seems like you're, you're going on every show all over the place. Yeah. I just uh, hopped off a Jacksonville conversation. So um, it's about four to five shows a day and it's, you know, kind of a uh, rapid fire. So it's fun this time of year. I, I love doing it cause I'm already invested in the, in the data. I'm, I'm doing it 24 seven right now. So, um, I might as well talk about it and talk shop. Right. Mm -hmm. And how did you, uh, out of curiosity myself, you know, how did you get into this? And like, when you first started the website, did you realize how it would become this kind of one-stop shop for everybody in terms of salary cap and you know education? No, this was supposed to be a, a fun little blog for baseball salaries because that's what I geeked out on 15 years ago. So um, when the NFL locked out in 2010 and everything kind of went haywire and then this hard cap came in and the new CBA and nobody knew what the heck was going on. So I just said, I'm going to just take a whole summer with no sports really and, and just dive into this thing. And I kind of wrapped my head around it and met some people that, that could help me with it. And the interest was unbelievable. I mean, the amount of people that cared or at least had interest in what somebody made and then how it broke down and then what was going to be next and, you know, the evaluation process totally snowballed. So it's, and, and you know, it's not just the NFL, it's mostly the NFL, but every sport has this now and it's like a fabric of life. That's awesome. And it's so cool to hear those kind of stories because how these things evolve over time, I think is it's the fun in it. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time that are, you know, in the content creation world and, you know, five years ago, probably never would have thought to, you know, have a, have a role in all of this. So it's, it's super cool. I wanted to start off with just your general impressions of the job that Brandon Bean has done. You're studying all this all the time about what works, what doesn't in the NFL and all these leagues. And it's, the blueprint that he's kind of laid out, I feel like over the course of the next couple of seasons, you're going to see other GMs, like first-time GMs, maybe try to emulate this a little bit. What have been your impressions about the job that Bean has done to, to kind of build this roster? You know, it's funny. Um, it, we had such a bad run, the Bills, with front office situations and bad contracts, and then the Darius contract hit, and it felt like there was no coming back from that. I mean, that was such a poorly structured contract in terms of the early guarantees. I mean, it, it's remnants of the Rams and the Eagles and what they're going through now with their situation. So the only way out was just to take it, you know, was just to say, we've got to push through this thing and start over. He's absolutely the, the perfect candidate for this because you can tell the second he got here that it was about his situation. I'm going to clean out everything that looks bad, whether they're players or not. 
And how many of those players that left did anything, <laughs> anything? It was clearly just about fixing the cap. And then I'll know what to do after that. And we'll have the right discussions with the right people. Um, but the first impression was, was, was rough because it was, they signed a fullback to a four-year deal, like more than half guaranteed. They signed Star Latule to a, a contract in like an hour and a half, uh, uh, you know, March 13th, when defensive tackles were getting $900,000 a year and stars getting 10 million a year, right? It was, it was a really bad start for me from a, from a money standpoint, because I thought he was just going to be the next guy throwing dollars around. He has completely come around. I mean, the structures of the contracts are modernized. They're they're front loaded to some degree. That's what you want to see out of the guy right now. He he took a terrible cap situation, took a ninety million dollar dead cap hit year one, cleaned it out, made the right trades. Somehow traded Darius. Somehow traded Watkins when they were absolutely low value, and has completely turned things around. Everything he's doing right now just seems to be something everyone else is trying to model, including the digs trade. And now it seems like this year is going to be his biggest challenge yet because with, with the salary cap being lower than expected, he actually uh, recently appeared on a podcast saying that, you know, they felt they're going to be pretty healthy going into this year when he thought the cap would be around 210, 215. Uh, but, but that's not the case now. So uh, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, how the cap could have been in, in terms of what bill, the bills could have done if it would have been a normal year based on what Brendan Bean might have to do now. Yeah, you can tell this was a four-year process. And, and how you can tell is the is how he staggered these players. You know, he, it, last year was clearly Tredavious' White, White's year, Deion Dawkins' year to some degree. Um, he's got a plan. And my guess was the plan, the plan this year was either going to be Josh Allen or Tremaine Edmonds. Um, maybe both, if the cap had risen properly and things fell properly for him in terms of his, his other pieces. Um, you know, moving on from John Brown, things like that. I don't know that you can do both right now. And maybe you can't do either. And that's a bad situation to get in. You don't want to get into fifth year options too much right now, especially with the fact that they're not fully guaranteed at exercise. So there's a, my guess is that's what he's, he's talking about. It's not so much about adding additional pieces. And I'm sure Milano's in this conversation as well. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't probably anticipating having to go 15 million on his, on his non-rushed edge, you know, linebacker, but um, everything's come up and you know, what's not coming down while the league cap is, is the cost for a quarterback or the cost for, you know, a captain of the defense or the cost for a, a, a cornerback number one. So he's had to pay these, these market value contracts out. And, and now it's a situation where he's on pause and I, I'm not sure that he gets either of those major contracts done. And I'm pretty sure that means Milano walks as well. So yeah, I think a lot of guys had things planned that are going to be backtracking right now. There's like a couple ways that, you know, you've been talking about on your podcasts and, you know, you, you kind of see sprinkled across social media and different posts about how general manage, managers can kind of free up space. And I think that's one of the areas where, you know, there's some confusion and maybe lack of understanding within fan base about what kind of tools are at Brandon Bean's disposal. So I want to kind of throw a couple different contract types at you. And I want to start with John Brown because I feel like he's kind of that, you know, cut candidate number one because yeah. of all the uh, money that you can add back. What are the possibilities there? Is it a situation where the money is so good getting back almost $8 million that just cutting him and moving on makes sense? Or is there some restructurability to a guy like him or even a Jerry Hughes who has one year left on his deal? Right. Very different situations, in my opinion, because I think Hughes has a lot, a lot of value. And I think John Brown's role is somewhat reduced right now. There, there's a lot of things against 
John Brown situation. I think his cap hit is too high. I think his overall salary is too high. And and it's an it's a phenomenal draft slash free agent class of wide receivers. One of the best we've seen. So everything's against him right now in terms of his current positioning. It, it, it's pretty clear to me that Brandon Bean is not a restructure fan. You know, he's he's gonna do that when he has to, but but he's not the kind of guy that he's not gonna be, you know, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia or Mickey Loomis in New Orleans that uses that as a part of their cap management. Um He's going to have to this year. I don't think John Brown is the right is the right candidate for that. You don't want to be pushing dead cap or more cap or more guarantees into 2022 when there's a lot of unknowns with their wide receiver core going forward next year. Um, Jerry Hughes, different story. If he thinks Jerry Hughes can give him, you know, number two rusher potential, you restructure and extend Jerry Hughes for an, just like you did a year and a half ago. And you give him a little signing bonus and, and you keep going from there or a, fr- a front loaded roster bonus. I thought, the way he's handled a few of the aging players is spot on. You know, you don't want to get in a situation where four or five of your major meat, meat players are, are plus 30 and you're restructuring 20 million down the road, which is what we've seen already for the past two weeks across the league. Um, you've got to be able to manage not only your cap, but your cash flow. And you don't want to be paying, you know, players to go away. Something we're starting to see more and more of for teams who just don't care. Brandon Bean cares. And he's got a plan with every single one of his players. It's very, very obvious I, to me. And I've seen this now in the other sports, especially with baseball, but a lot in the NBA, which is, you know, hands out dollars. A lot of players are going to be caught under the fact that we're just going to outright release you because we know we can get you back cheaper. We know we can start over with this whole contract and it's going to be cheaper. Even if he's at nine million, we think we can get you at five and a half or six because there's not going to be a market for you for $9 million anywhere else right now. So you're just going to see some guys get outright released because of the current cap situation. So what about a pay cut? I know the release you could re-sign, but what about a pay cut for a John Brown where he could earn maybe some of that money back in terms of incentives? Uh, because you just said it. This free agent class is loaded, yeah. but the Bills aren't in a position to go out and try to get any of those guys that are going to be making $10, 12000000 million dollars Maybe they're not quite sure if Gabriel Davis can take on that full load as the number two receiver. So having John Brown for one more year at around $5 million, for instance, is better than outright releasing him. So is a pay cut something that could also be on the table? I actually don't. I, I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the link of the optics of it uh, from from team to agent, from team to player. I think once you start doing that, once that starts getting public that you're asking players to take pay cuts, it becomes a thing. It becomes a stamp on your resume. Um, I think it's much, much easier. And you're doing the right thing to, for the player to just let him walk. Just say, hey, we can't make this current contract work. We'd love to have you back. We're going to give you the opportunity to go out and find a payday somewhere else, maybe a better situation for you somewhere else. I just think his production is replaceable. And it's, you're not going to have to break the bank. You're going to be able to find cap space to bring in somebody to replace John Brown's production, with whether that's a fourth-round pick or, or something like that. But um, I, I never have liked the optics of a pay cut. Now, I understand it if you're 35, you know, and you're just trying to hang on, and we can we can build some bonuses in for you can make it back. Um, but I, I've never liked the optics of a, of a good contract being asked to be cut when you could just start over. And I think that's where we're going with a lot of these players. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you mentioned starting over and, you know, 
going into this offseason, Brandon Bean said there's going to be a lot of tough decisions. And I think that the first thing you think of if you're a fan is, you know, Matt Milano coming up as a, as a free agent, Daryl Williams, maybe those are the tough decisions. But as you kind of get along here, you start to realize that maybe some of the tough decisions that he was talking about is moving on from some of the guys that you brought in as recently as last year. And three of those guys right now that I think are, you know, top candidates to maybe figure out a way to um, either restructure or move on from. And I want to get your thoughts on this. And I'm actually bringing up uh, spottrack.com right now because it is a great tool. And if you're not using it and you are an NFL or sports fan, you're, you're missing out. Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler. Give me your thoughts on that kind of, you know, trio of players and what maybe, you know, maybe pecking order of, of either restructuring or moving on. I, I have to think Butler's out. To me, that's the easy one. And, and the reason being is you're kind of getting a free agent signing with Star coming back. Um, so to me, that's just replaceable right off the top. Star's, Star's somewhat cheaper. I think he's a little bit better. He's got a little bit more of a ceiling right now. He's probably fresh after a year off. Uh, so to me, that's a no-brainer. You clear that and you move forward. The the edge rush guys, look, there's some bonuses due on a couple of these players, some smaller roster bonuses and things like that. Otherwise, you know, to me, it's easy. You just hold on and see how your draft goes because, look, the, the edge rusher is about to hit the open market. They they rival this this wide receiver class. There are, there are some serious names that are going to hit this market because the teams that they're leaving can't even afford to franchise tag them right now. So um, it, it's a really weird year for the teams that, that haven't managed their cap with flexibility. And it's going to be a very fruitful year for some teams that are either in the middle of the pack or you know are, are, have a ton of cap room right now because we just never see seven legitimate you know sack the quarterback players hit the open market along with, again, a decent draft class for the, over the first couple of rounds. So if I had to guess with the, with the latter two, he probably holds on to them and, uh, and eats the roster bonuses if he has to just to get himself into June just to see what happens in the draft, you know, who falls to them later in the first, unless, you know, if they trade out, things like that. But there's options. There, there's options to replace them. So they're certainly on the bubble, but you don't want to gut your, your pass rush just like you don't want to gut your offensive line. I mean, the, those are two situations that were extremely evident last year in, in year and, you know, with the postseason teams. I just think that it's easier to keep them right now and, and, you know, add a little bit of dead cap versus missing out on a free agent or missing out on a draft pick that you have on your board right now and then having to scramble in August. Now, if the Bills do sign J.J. Watt, does that make moving on from Addison that much easier? Or is it, again, maybe hold on, just wait and see? No, no, those are simultaneous moves right there. Okay. I mean, you're going to have to free up some space to get Watt on the door because it sounds like that price. Look, I've heard I've heard nine million out there, and, and I've heard fifteen million out there. So um, I'm just kind of a I'm under the impression that it's going to be one of one of either. That's the spectrum. I assume the Browns are at the high end of this. So you know, if the Bills are in, Brandon Bean doesn't overpay. He just flat out doesn't overpay for free agents, whether you're JJ Watt or or, or you know a C free agent. So I. If they get him in the door, they're going to be a counter move. Maybe, maybe two. Maybe he takes up the, the spot of both of those guys we're talking about here, because then you can go into into the draft with a little bit more comfort, knowing you have at least your top two rushers in in the room. Um, but no question, JJ Watt pushes one of those guys out the door. I I was listening to your show. I believe it was last week, and you guys were talking about Watt and you know where you 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 anticipated the number landing at about in the middle of that at about twelve per season. Well, where with the way that this thing has transpired, where are you at there now? And 
how, I mean, it seems like this, this deal is not necessarily imminent from reports that we're seeing the last couple of days. How much of that does has to do with the salary cap situation and the fact that we still don't know a definitive number? It's a good question. Um, I think the I think there's two things out there. One is that there's 12 teams involved. <laughs> I mean, so his agent's probably doing just a ton of work right now to figure out fit, money, structure, guarantee, all that stuff. You know where his family wants to live. Um, and the second thing is, I, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if JJ Watt has said to the right people, "I'm not signing anything until this situation in, in Texas calms down." You know, I'm not going to be the guy signing a 60 million dollar contract to leave Texas. When you know this this state that I've pumped in so many years to is is re- is really reeling right now because of the disaster. So I I think uh, I, I think that's part of it. There's a bit of a pause with with the Texas situation, and there's just a lot of offers out there. You know, to me the biggest thing with JJ Watt because he's made his money. There's no question about that. It's not going to be about you know who offers just the overall top value. There's a lot more to it. Does he even want a multi-year contract? You know, does he want to make this next spot home, or is it more about I just want to be on a contender, more of an NBA situation. I would just, I just want to be on a contender every single year, you know. And if I'm going to a situation in Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers might be out the door after 2022, you know, I'm not signing a four-year deal. I mean, you know, maybe it's a one-year deal with a second-year option to go along with the cap situation that we have right now. So I, it's really hard to to kind of get into his brain right now. Um, but my guess is that's why there's a little bit of a pause. Now, you mentioned Josh Allen a little bit earlier in terms of maybe the Bills not being able to get his extension done this year with the cap and everything. Uh, But obvious benefit aside, getting a contract done earlier just makes sense because every year the price of quarterback goes up. Based on his play this past season, where how high did his (laughs) average salary go from what was expected to where it would be now based on his play from 2020? The people that I follow closely with this stuff, th- this is the spectrum of what Josh Allen did last year. He was a, I'm not even sure they're going to exercise the fifth year option to 40 to 41 million a year. <laughs> um, and you can say the same about Baker Mayfield, by the way. He did the exact same thing this year, just not to the same, not to the level that Josh Allen did it. Um, you know, maybe even more drastic for Baker. Baker was maybe a cut trade candidate before 2020. That's how bad his his first two years really kind of went. So um, Allen did himself, you know, as much as possible outside of just outright winning that Super Bowl. And uh, I, I can't imagine a world where his contract is less than 40 million right now. It's truly amazing. It's funny. We talk about, you know, Josh Allen so much on this show for obvious reasons and the the optics of it. And this goes back to you mentioned, like, you know, I think in in media circles that those questions were being asked. But I think that you know, from a player perspective, this kind of was anticipated for Josh. So I think that's so interesting now, the optics on both of those guys. And, you know, as we move forward, how much, how much do you feel like, I mean, I think it's easy to sit here and say that good quarterbacks attract free agents, but do you feel like a quarterback like Josh Allen, who elevates to MVP caliber status. That's something that could be the difference maker in a JJ Watt decision, or even somebody else out there that, you know, maybe nobody's even talking about right now. Yeah. You know what I think really did the trick and why the bills have to be a top three candidate for a player like Watt or any notable free agent this year. The, the situation with Stefan Diggs, not so much that it worked from a production standpoint, but that this kid who was somewhat embattled in Minnesota, right? He was falling out of favor, not only with the team, with the front office, but with the fan base because of things he was saying. 
he, he comes into the Bills Mafia situation and, and the Bills community and brand under Brandon Bean's tutelage and Sean McDermott, of course. And he's a whole different kind of kind of kid. And he embraces Josh Allen and he embraces the offense. That is, you know, exhibit A that even some random player off the street can come in and be com- immediately embraced and obviously produced because of it. So to me, it's the, it's that veteran pickup from, from Stefan Diggs taking Josh Allen kind of under his wing. And now those two are the, are the, you know, the faces of this franchise on every medium outlet. I mean, they are linked at the hip that that says a lot more to me than Josh Allen alone standing out there in an AFC championship game. Um, It's about Josh Allen's ability to play with anybody to get along with anybody, you know, obviously that's uh, that, that goes, that goes a long way, especially with a situation like JJ Watt, where clearly things got ugly in the locker room with the coaching staff. Um, he's looking for more of a home in terms of football. And uh, that that's what Allen and Diggs, to me, that's what they give off. Now, you mentioned that Matt Milano probably priced himself out of Buffalo's market. What about a guy like Daryl Williams, who Buffalo was able to get at a bargain rate last year? Uh, what, what could he be looking at this year in free agency? And is it something that you think the Bills could end up matching or trying to bring him back for? Yeah. He, I mean, you're talking 2 million to what could be 12, you know, and, and I think he's an $8 million player. If I, if I put it in my, my formula, he's an eight, eight to $9 million player, but you know, I know, I know too much to say that that's going to be the case because if, if Taylor Moten gets the franchise tag from Carolina, like I believe he will, um, there's a world where Daryl Williams is the best right tackle on the free agent market. Um, he did enough last year to, to give himself that kind of that kind of designation, and right tackles now basically make 15 million. You know your great ones are upwards of 16 to 17. You know that's where Taylor's going to live. So realistically, knowing what he made last year, knowing his in, that he's a little bit older, you know I think on a free agent market he's worth 12 right now to a lot of teams. You know Jacksonville, why wouldn't Jacksonville want to do whatever they can? to protect, you know, Trevor Lawrence after what we saw with Joe Burrow last year. Um, you know, Jacksonville's got 80 million of cap space and they probably want four offensive linemen this offseason. So that's a team right there that could outprice Buffalo pretty easily. Um, but, you know, we all kind of know that he's not a $15 million per year guy. It's just, you know, it only takes one team to make him as such. And I'm bringing up here uh, the 2021 cap total for the Bills. Uh, just kind of give people a, a, a little visual here. With the final question that I have for you is, you know, the the franchise tag. And, and speaking of the Bills specifically, I think naturally, you know, fans kind of go to, okay, if you're too worried about a long-term deal, just franchise them and, and deal with them down the road. I, From my perspective, and, you know, I, that's why I want to ask you, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in a, in a cash strapped uh, year to, to, to franchise tag Milano, who will probably cost you around 13, 14 million to do that. Is there a, a franchisable uh, franchise tagable player on the bills roster considering their situation? I wouldn't think so. I mean, it depends on how important they think Daryl Williams is because that, that tag is somewhat lower than it's been over the past two seasons because of the situation we're in. It's it's around 13 and a half which is kind of the numbers we're all talking about out loud here on the open market. But he doesn't seem, Brandon Bean doesn't seem like the kind of guy that wants to throw that kind of cap hit on this table right now, even if it's for two weeks, you know, even if it's just as a placeholder, um, because really what it's going to do is it's going to affect your ability to do anything March 17th outside of, you know, three, four restructures to combat it. 
So Milano and Williams would be in the same boat, financially speaking, with that franchise tag. I think it's just easier to do the work internally, try to get them locked up before March 17th gets here. Um, you know, Milano's probably a long shot knowing what he's going to make somewhere else. And uh, it's important to, to, to figure out Daryl Williams because, like I said, he's, gonna, he's probably going to outprice himself the second he hits the market. This was all awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Um, head over to SpotTrack.com. Not only can you just check out all the financials, but there's great pieces up as well. Uh, a lot of projections for the free agents coming up. Anything else that you want to shout out or uh, you want people to check out? No, no. We, uh, we, we do a weekly podcast and there's uh, some premium stuff to get rid of the ads on the site, things like that. All that fun stuff. Yeah, we're, uh, we're cranking over here. It's uh, many sports at one time right now. <laughs> It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and uh, you are, are definitely our top source uh, for all salary cap knowledge. Uh, Mike Giannetti, thank you so much, my friend. This was fun, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right. Wow, that was awesome. Um, Mike's great, and you know, I I, I found his podcast this, the last couple of weeks as I've been doing a lot of research for free agency, and it, it's just fun to hear him kind of go back and forth on a lot of this stuff because you know, even for us that are in the business, Ryan, it's, it's something that's, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, I kind of avoided business classes in college, like the play, <laughs> you know, I am a creative dude. I like writing. Uh, I like doing this kind of stuff when it comes to math and, and, and business. I and mean, that's, it's not really my, my vibe, but I've, I, I've learned a lot from folks. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to another guy in a minute that I've learned a lot from as well. And it's just nice to kind of get those, get those guys and those gals in here and just learn something. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, it's funny you mentioned that I actually started as a business major in college. And I, I think it was about a half a semester. I said, oh, no, this is not for me. I always loved math, but I did not like that kind of math. So uh, I agree. It's great to hear this stuff. And it's really interesting because sometimes you do look at a number that's linked with the play and you're like, oh, really? They're going to make that kind of money? But what Mike said is true. There's going to be people bidding for these players. So someone that you think is worth $8 million might get 12 million on the market or 13 million because there's going to be a team desperate for a number one wide receiver or someone they perceive to be that way. So it, it is really interesting to look at. And, and I'm definitely glad there are experts out there that can help us with this stuff. We'll waste no more time. We will get to our next guest here. My man, look at that quaff. Look at that smile. <laughs> look at that beard. Mr. Greg Thompson, cover one is in the house. What's up, man? What's going on, guys? I can't come on with you and not be fully prepared. I, I, I got to be ready. No, I, I, I appreciate you guys having you know the master on. Mike's fantastic. I've had him out, him on several times. He's going to give you all the details, and now I'm here to recklessly speculate. <laughs> I, I have to strongly disagree with you there, my friend, because um, you know you you guys have such a cool story. I mean, I love everything that you guys do over at Cover One, and I, I'm going to have Aaron on here eventually as well. We, we we've shared a lot of DMs in the last couple weeks. Uh, or months since he's been back on Twitter. You guys do a great job. Uh, I, I love the salary cap stuff, though, because when you find something that you're really good at and you and you really understand and you're so open with your time to share that knowledge, that's the coolest thing. And I want to shout you out right at the top. If you tweet it, Greg, or you have a question, always answering them. I mean, all hours of the day and sometimes night as we get closer to free agency. Kudos, man. It's great. It's great stuff. No, I appreciate it, man. I, you know, we, we've tried to find our niche in taking – 
the complicated parts of football and make them digestible for the average fan. So Aaron, Eric does that more on the film side of it and helping with coverage schemes and, and understanding those things. I've found that I don't mind reading the CBA. I spent a lot of my professional time reading legalese and going through those kind of documents and those fun classes that, that you guys fell asleep in during college. <laughs> I, I enjoyed those. Um, so going through the, the business elements of it and taking that financial analysis and, and legal uh, contract evaluation that I have to do on a day-to-day basis and now applying it to my passion it's turned into a fun little world for me to be able to to help with and now uh, this time of year is is really my time of year for that stuff so let's not waste too much time because you got your own show to do tonight that's another thing (laughs) dude's coming on here to you know do a hit right before his own show tonight I appreciate it so we won't waste any time I want to start with Watt because it's been something that's you know kind of overtaken the conversation and I think one of the fun things that we could do here is maybe throw a couple guys at you hypotheticals and 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 what happens if because all the attention's on jj watt right but you know mike just mentioned like we could be looking at a 60 million dollar contract here over multiple years i I don't think that that's possible necessarily in buffalo but whatever the final number is i don't think it's going to necessarily be cheap so i guess paint a picture for what life after signing jj watt might look like as we move towards free agency yeah, it's really interesting. You see these finalists that are in there. I think that they've leaked some information that makes sense. They talk about quarterback matters. They talk about the rest of the scheme matters. He wants to win a Super Bowl. I think there's kind of like a, a velvet rope, like the VIP room. And to get in, you have to be talking eight digits or above. So I think even to get in the room, you have to be at $10 million or above. Now, once you get into the room, I then kind of believe that money is not the deciding factor and that once you're in the room and you're in the discussion i don't think that he's going to pick a slightly lower tier team because they offer 14 million because a better team's offering 10 million i think that he's going to have a cutoff of where he assumes it needs to be and then get in there and i i think that the bills are in the bottom of that tier, but they can get into that tier. And I I think Mike described it really well earlier. I think he's the exact kind of guy you would describe of, hey, we keep Mario Addison around, but if we get J.J. Watt, you replace him there. That's basically like a $6 million coupon on on that signing, and all of a sudden now you only have to create 4 or $5 million in additional cap space. If he were to want to sign a multi-year deal, that really opens up options where you could reduce the first year, give him a big check over the entire two, three, four years, and then be able to stretch that out into future years. So it depends on what he's looking for there, but I certainly think the Bills can be in there as long as money isn't the deciding factor. It's just an entry point. I think they can get in just at the bottom of that uh, range he's looking for. So t- today I, I put out a piece and, and someone in here said, I love the suggestion on Diggs. And that was actually Greg's idea. I watched, I watched the salary cap special and that's where it came <laughs> from. I, I even linked to it though. I wasn't trying to take credit for it, but someone in the comments. Yes, uh, you were, Ryan. Here, You're always <laughs> stealing everybody's he was, credit. He was very good. Believe me, lots of people brought it up to me when it was linked to it. It was, uh, it was very cool. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. What's no funny problem. is I, a lot of times, Ryan is one of the most cordial credit givers that I think in in our market because I I read I, we read we cross read a lot of each other's stuff and most of the time I'm like I don't think you got to credit that man I think that that's just kind of general knowledge and he's like nope that I'm crediting it because if somebody says something he wants them to get credit for it so yeah. I like that. no honestly I, I respect that so so much I always tell people crediting people like 
if people are seeing it and you're crediting it, they're still seeing what you're producing. Like they're still seeing your content and that goes around so much more that people are willing to work with people like that. So I think that's fantastic. Well, right. And then if someone would have asked me about it anyways, I would have been like, yeah, I have no idea how they could make that 9 million. <laughs> so if someone would have called my bluff too, it wouldn't have worked out. But what I was getting at is someone on, on Facebook said, well, if they sign JJ Watt, they can't get a Janu Smith or, or a, a key player at this other position. Can you break down how it still would be possible to get an impact player at tight end or another key position for this team? So first, let me start by saying there's a much higher probability that that person on Facebook ends up being right. And they're going to look <laughs> like they were right in hindsight. However, if I go through, and I have, I play on Mike's site on Talk all the time. I, I play with our friends over at uh, overthecap.com and I use their tools way more than any grown adult should. It, it's it's a, uh, an obsession on many times. If I maximize every single option that the Bills have available and lean into every possible restructure, every reasonable um, pay cut, you know, within reason keeping a guy. And I'm, I don't, I'm not a big fan of releasing people. I, I love the way that Mike talked about that. You don't create holes preemptively to then have to go fill them. You deal with that on a case-by-case basis. I only lean into like Vernon Butler, Lee Smith, a handful of real obvious ones. I can create over $50 million in cap space. With very real, like every single one individually in a vacuum being completely realistic. Like each of them could happen on their own. I think when I did it earlier today, it takes like 16 different transactions in order to do that. But 16 different instances of Stefan Diggs giving him a two year, $40 million, well deserved extension, but reducing the cap hit this year, kicking some of the new money from Trey White and Deion Dawkins into the future, but reducing their cap hit for this year. Not releasing Mitch Morris or John Brown, but reducing their cap hit for this year. Each of those kind of pieces. So any of those things are all, if I'm smart enough to find those, Brandon Bean and his team are a lot smarter than I am. They know that stuff much better than I do. They know those options as well. I would say each of those are cards to play in their hand. They're not going to do like what I did, like in a Madden style setup where I just do all those moves and then, oh, look at all the money I have to go to spend. Let's go blow it all one-on-one as they need them they're like all right we could play this card now we do we think we can get a deal for Watt. all right that probably means addison we were going to do butler anyways let's go ahead and do those and honestly some of the things like more so those are more natural that you need to do to create room to sign your draft picks a handful of those maybe four or five of those 14 moves are likely to happen no matter what so those we might see ahead of time but the other ones are just they're ready to play if they need them and they can create as much space as they want realistically but when i say 50 million dollars that's not found money that means i'm borrowing from 2022 2023 2024 2025 and a big chunk of that next year so all of a sudden you're reducing those future that's not what i budgeted for we're a little in a little bit of trouble they're not going to kick all of that can down the road. So they're not going to even near create that. I do think 20 million is probably in the realistic range. Okay. Um, I also wanted to ask you about a cornerback too, because I put up a post today, Brandon Bean did a almost an hour with Chris Collinsworth and Richard Sherman. And I, love I definitely show. recommend, yeah, I definitely recommend going and listening to it. If you're a Bills fan, because um, you know, it's just good hearing the general manager just talk for that long kind of, off the cuff and and that's a different environment too like when he's talking to us 
it's you know it's very rhythmic and i will say this look brandon's really good with the media i feel like most of our zoom conferences you know he's very forthcoming and um i know why sean has to be a, a different kind of way being the kind of voice of the the organization and the day-to-day -day kind of uh, as much as we talk to him but brandon's usually a little bit more you know easygoing so i definitely recommend going and listen to it but i think that you know one of the things that i went into this offseason thinking about is that cornerback two spot and how many options there are in free agency from veterans like Richard Sherman um, to kind of some more maybe affordable options or you know I think you guys talked about a few of them on your on your podcast you know Jason Verrett who's from the same scheme kind of you know similar kind of players um, what does that all look like in terms of if they were to attack cornerback two what does that mean for the rest of free agency and a potential Watt deal or a potential John U. Smith deal so um, any one of those, I, I think the Bills have a eight-digit move in them. So now whether that's Daryl Williams' market gets up there to $10 million or they find it, you know, it, we'll talk about it here maybe in a bit. Um, I think that the way Mike described the tackle market, where it could sadly mean that Daryl Williams is the number one tackle available if Moten gets, um, you know, tagged or how people feel about Cam Robinson or some others like that. There's a bit more in the linebacker market with Levante David and other people like that that maybe he comes back and realizes, oh, I'm not going to get the deal I thought. I'll come back on a one-year $10 million deal. I think the Bills have one of those in them realistically. Now, if all of a sudden Williams gets down to $8 million and Janu Smith is $8 million and they really want to make it work, they can do some of those kind of things. I will be surprised if cornerback is that price range. Uh, Eric and I did a show over the weekend. We really tried to lean into the value side of names that are out there. Uh, guys like Akella Witherspoon is a guy who's actually the same build. If you go on the mock draftable uh, web uh, thing that they'd line up different things of your, your size, arm length, height, weight, sporty speed, everything in the combine, his number one comparable is Richard Sherman. Except wow. he ran a four four at the in the combine, and Sherman was you know obviously famously slower, and then played phenomenal. Um, he played in San Francisco, a lot of potential, you know six two six three long arms, a guy that could be really advantageous to bring in on a two year four million dollar deal when you already have you know Levi Wallace a pretty likely uh, returnee on the restricted free agent tag. You obviously heard the way that Brandon talked about. Um, Dane Jackson in the in the pod who's the first name that they brought up with that sneaky guy um, that might be hidden. He he was tempered it not to be superstar, but when he asked him, "Hey, who's the sneaky guy? You're, nobody else knows about." That's the name he went to. So obviously, it shows you a little bit what they think of. That to me means I think we see we hear a lot about Richard Sherman. People throw out Xavier Rhodes. People throw out some names like that. That sure that that would be lovely. I think they're going to be more in that range of maybe a you know, kind of injury recovery guy like Jason Verrett and Akella Witherspoon. Sidney Jones is another name people remember from the uh, from the draft a couple years ago. I think they're going to go more in that range of a guy who can compete with Levi Wallace and uh, along with Dane Jackson. And honestly, now Levi Wallace, at his fourth year, he kind of is the veteran for that co that competition. And that <laughs> you know, if they don't think they're going to extend him beyond the RFA tender this year, maybe we see that and or maybe a mid round pick. We have a question from Steve Lynn. Ready. So if the NFL adds one more game to the regular season, how is the cap affected with or without fans and a new TV deal? 
Awesome question, Steve. Um, so there's a couple different pieces there. The new TV deal is by far the biggest piece. That's, you know, you're talking about astronomical money. I think most people have seen the articles that are out there. The NFL is asking for double the payment that they got before. They're asking every single network to pay 100% more. And if I think the one that I saw. Sound business strategy. Oh, it's great. (laughs) Absolutely phenomenal negotiating. I would like you to pay double next time. I didn't Um, need to go to school for that, Greg. I did not need to go to school for that. (laughs) And honestly, the NFL has the most valuable entity in live uh, television. So they're trying to leverage that. Um, So that's going to be a huge part of it. That's why... They're comfortable raising the floor. You heard them go from 175 to 180. I've now heard it might be closer to 183. 182 is probably where it's going to end up. That's because of that TV money. Now, that's also a piece with the reason they're asking for more TV money is the additional playoff game that they added going to the seven wildcard spots. And now that the, and this, everybody remembers this past year, that wildcard weekend was phenomenal. Going three straight games, three straight games, that whole weekend was fantastic. Um, that's more money, and the 17th game is more money, but in the CBA, it was negotiated at a max of 20 games, so it's taking away a preseason game. A preseason game is obviously more valuable than a regular season game, but it it mitigates it a little bit in that they were going to make some gate from the preseason game, especially because so many teams are you know, 60-70% season ticket holders, that you're getting that money anyway, so... It's probably not as big of a factor in the direct cash from the 17th game as it is a leverage point with the TV deal and why they're going to get so much money there. Interesting. Um, Let's talk, let's shift gears here a little bit and kind of paint a picture, if you will, for how free agency will go from a Bills perspective. Because you look back in 2019 and it was fast and furious. I mean, deals were, were being handed out and rightfully so. I mean, they did the work on the cap to be in that position. Last year was a little bit slower, obviously by the end of Monday night, we got the Stefan Diggs deal and that kind of dominated the week. How do you anticipate this going? I mean, is it all dependent on a potential JJ Watt deal beforehand? Maybe even, you know, guys that are, aren't even on the street yet that we could be t- throwing into this mix. I know, you know, a lot of fans are excited about potentially Von Miller hitting free agency and him being in the mix. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but, that's a kind of a separate conversation. How do you feel like this thing is going to play out? Is going to be again, some, some moves early on or something where they kind of sit back and wait. So I think you're spot on on the comment you made about other guys who aren't out there yet. Uh, Eric and I talked about that on Saturday is that I think we touched on half of the guys that are out there because there's so many teams about to make moves that we just don't know who they're going to be. You know, if if you tell me that, you know, we went through some one tech guys and you tell me the Bears are struggling and need to release Hakeem Hicks, he might jump towards the top of my list. Uh, right. He's one of the largest humans on earth. Um, <laughs> you know, they, there are some different pieces like that, that. Some of those teams that are struggling that aren't going to be able to make those things fit, all of a sudden they cut loose a few people that we weren't expecting. That could change things. I think if, if Brandon Bean has his choice... And we face the reality that, okay, we can't bring back Darrell Williams or Matt Milano. One of those is going to be the focus of the first round pick. And the other one will do a combination of a veteran and a day two pick. And that means we need to go out and sign somebody. The temptation to only dabble in the released market where you take advantage of that comp pick bingo, where we're not signing an unrestricted free agent, 
like a J.J. Watt, like, you know, at other guys, Josh Norman last year, although it obviously didn't work out in that manner. That was the idea behind it. Um, the pursuit of Christian Kirksey last year and now him being released again. All of a sudden, you sign J.J. Watt, you sign uh, Rick Wagner, who got released as well from the Packers. You sign um, a released Christian Kirksey, and then you draft a tackle on a linebacker. You just added three players None of them count against the compensatory pick formula. You let uh, Matt Milano walk for $14 million and you let Darrell Williams walk for $12 million. Well, now you just got a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick, and you replace the players with lesser money. Um, I think if Brandon Bean has a choice, that's what he would prefer. I don't think he's going to be so restricted that he won't go into the unrestricted market. If the best player they want and the best fit and the best value is an unrestricted free agent, I think they'll do it. But I, I would caution fans not to be sitting there refreshing Twitter every five minutes on you know March Monday, March 15th. I don't think it's going to be that kind of day. Um, I do think that J.J. Watt is a legitimate, real possibility. We're going to know that before March 15th. We're going to know that maybe next week. Um, I think that we'll see some of the other moves that happen there. I don't expect it to be hot and heavy. Um, that compensatory pick formula uh, also has a limitation on the back end, usually two weeks after the draft. The last couple of years has been May 15th. There's going to be a cutoff there. I think we're going to see the most one-year veteran minimum contracts we've seen in NFL history this year, and I think a ton of them are going to be signed like May 16th, the day after that compensatory mm. pick formula. So I think that's a date to watch for as well, that a bunch of teams are going to hold off there. Players are going to be out there waiting. I don't want to sign for a cheap deal, but if I am going to sign for a cheap deal, I want it to be catching balls from Josh Allen in this offense, you know, that kind of thing. We got some fan questions that I want to get to still, but I want to kind of break off for a second and talk about something that's super important and you know goes right along with what we've been talking about here and it's it's that super bowl window and i wonder if you're sitting there in your brand and bean how urgent does this next two months feel to you and how open number one how open is that window and i've obviously some thoughts on it but i want to get yours greg and also are there in the situation that you're in now are there moves that that improve your championship window, if you will, whether it be adding JJ Watt, but having to lose a Darrell Williams is, the, is there a specific, because if you bring back Darrell Williams in a lot of ways, you're the same team that you were last year. So I, but it's an important piece at the same time. There's all this juggling that goes on. It's, it's not really an envious situation other than the fact that you'd be an NFL general general manager. So I think it's important to realize the bills are all in. The Bills are in a Super Bowl window regardless of what they do here. I don't think that there's any move that all of a sudden makes, oh, now they're a Super Bowl contender. And honestly, if they don't make any marquee moves, they're still a Super Bowl contender. The Bills are still coming back with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and, mm -hmm. and all of those weapons. They're still coming back with Trey White and all the pieces that are there on defense that they're going to do some things. They're going to fill each of those spots. They're going to have a competitive, strong roster. I think they could make one nice move here. I don't think any of the moves they're going to make are going to be so mon uh, you know, so monumental that they shift the dynamic of, oh, now the Bills are the number one contender for the Super Bowl no matter what. I don't think that move exists. I think the Bills are going to be one of the top five teams in the NFL next year 
whether they make a handful of the moves people are predicting or virtually none of them. So I, I think that it's important for fans to realize the Bills have a really good GM and a really good head coach and a franchise quarterback. We have a Super Bowl window for 10 years now. Every single year, we're all in. Every single year, we're doing everything we can to win, just like the Packers have been and the Seahawks have been. And just like the Packers and Seahawks, there's going to be some awesome years and maybe some iffy years where people get hurt and things aren't awesome. That's the kind of team we are now. So I, I'm i not one that says, hey, we have to go all in no matter what, everything right now, because once Josh Johns' extension, it's all over. Well, no, it just shifts a little bit. Some things go differently. We, we lean on our draft picks more. If anything, the differential of making that leap, no free agent we sign will be as important as Ed Oliver playing like a top 10 pick. No player we sign will be as important as Tremaine Edmonds taking a huge leap forward. Those are the things that we need to see. And then I hope we add some window dressing on there on top. So we've talked a lot about Matt Milano, Darrell Williams being two guys that might price themselves out of the market. Are there any other bills free agents that you could see making more money than some fans uh, may expect in free agency and maybe bid, you know, walk, you know, uh, not be able to come back to Buffalo based on other offers they're receiving. Um, the market value that Mike set for John Feliciano sounds like too much money to me. Um, so if somebody offers him $8 million a year, God bless him. Go go get that money, Mongo. Um, I I hope to have him back at a much more reasonable number, but that was higher than I anticipated when I started doing my math. Um, I'd say the one that maybe some fans take for granted, I could see maybe a sneaky offer for Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I like Isaiah McKenzie. I'd love to have him back pretty reasonably. I'm starting to shift that maybe he showed the potential in the return game that he could do his role and replace Andre Roberts. Um, what, what's what's a he's gone number two two for eight? Can you can you yeah. sign him to that? I, I think that's gone? a that's about the cutoff. I I okay. want him back at two, maybe three million. If you start to get above there, I don't think we have. So I don't think we have the role to let him hit that value. Mm-hmm. He would be signing with a team that wants to give him Cole Beasley's role, and we don't mm-hmm. have that role in our offense to give him. So I could see a team wanting to give him that money because they see that potential in him. We can't pay him that because, oh, oh, we don't want to lose him when we can't give him those targets. We can't give him that opportunity. We just don't have that spot for him. That's his next day. If he's going to go into more than a gadget guy in the NFL, it's being Cole Beasley. His agent has so much ammo in <laughs> NFL in meetings with general managers because, listen, the guy literally has spent the last two years at you know in in, in, in Cole Beasley College learning how to be that dominant um, you know slot guy. It's like watching them at practice more so in nineteen than twenty. He kind of really developed into his own player, but you know he was attached at the hip with with Cole Beasley, and you saw to your point. He flashed with in, in the return game. I know that there's been questions about the fumbles, but listen, when you can make big plays like that, there's really good return guys that have had fumbles throughout history. And if you can make the big play, I think you can kind of stomach some of that. But I think that's a great point because we've been talking about McKenzie and the fact that he that performance against a Miami defense that was shutting everybody down, and he just was – he looked electric out there, and that might be somebody you want to take a shot on. All right, let's get to a couple of these fan questions real quick. Um, one of them here um, from our buddy, uh, Banged Up Bills. Um, with the salary cap going, going, cap going down because of lost revenue, will we see the cap eventually jump up to where it should be based on past growth percentages, or will it grow slower 
leading to overall lost earnings for players. So, yes, I actually think it's going to go back relatively quickly. The only caveats to that are, I don't know that we jump back in week one of the 2021 season at 100% capacity in 100% of stadiums. So that's a little bit there that, you know, we'll see how the next couple months go. Right now, I don't know that I would guess that every single stadium and every single state is 100% capacity in, you know, September. Also, the reason that there is a floor for this year, and they talk about they went from 175 to 180, is not because that's how much money they made. If they went for the true, hey, we're just taking the amount of money, the what 50%, 49% the players get divided by 32, the cap might be like 150, and they literally mm-hmm. would have had to fold franchises. So the way that they did that, the new agreement they made last summer, was they're borrowing forward equally split elements of the next four years cap so depending on where that falls so for super easy math let's say that it ends up at 182 and the real number was 162 and they had to borrow 20 million dollars per team that means each cap for the next five years if next year is 215 they're going to make it 210 because you got to pay back that extra five million um so those are two factors of why it might not be exactly as high as they project but if you go back and you just simply remove 2020 as the weird year that it was the cap was on a projection projection of going from 200 to roughly 210 or 215 then 225 to 227 then 240 then like 260 the next handful of years i don't know that it immediately skips that 210 to 215 year and goes directly into 227 but i won't be shocked if the 2022 cap is $220 and they take give back the five and it goes to 215 I think that's very much in play. And then I think the future projections from there are right back in line. Those are very, you know, they know how many people are buying tickets to NFL games and know how many people watch on TV. That's not changing that dramatically in the near future. They're going to be making that money that they plan. So I expect that to be, um, back to what they expected they'll never catch up for make up for the money that was lost there are guys matt milano's of the world who are hitting free agency this year in the worst possible moment in history and that's never going to be made up that's just reality okay greg i hope you're ready for this and we have a punter question and i punt and i punted it to ryan because um i i don't I can't say it. I don't. I don't want to get. Uh, you don't want another punt of Palooza, Corey versus Corey. Yeah, I don't want to get anybody mad at me. Go ahead, Ryan. All right. Last year, most of the Bills Mafia was screaming for a new punter, but after a great season from Corey Bajorquez, can the Bills afford to re-sign him, or should we look for a new punter? So, that's a very fair question. Um, I've heard several other people ask it. Corey Bajorquez is a restricted free agent, so there's a limitation. And they'll use that in negotiations more than I anticipate them applying the tender because the tender is actually like two and a half million dollars to to Mm. apply it. Um, Mm. I don't know that I anticipate that or at least one and a half for the, hey, we can match any offer, but we receive no compensation. So for him, probably one and a half million. So that at least caps what they could sign. Punters don't sign for that much money. Maybe the very, very best get like three and four million dollars sometimes. I don't think one year of leading the NFL in gross average, pretty good in net, but still some challenges on touchbacks and some pieces like that. He had a nice season. I think 
is a reason why they want to re-sign him. I don't think his agent has a ton of ammo to say, I want top five punter money in the NFL. So I very much think they can bring him back. I think he's earned the right to come back and make sense to be retained. Um, but I think that you're looking at like a Reed Ferguson kind of deal where like, hey, we value you. We want you back on a three-year deal and we want you for a little bit more than the NFL minimum because we think you're worth a little bit more. But I'm anticipating like three years, 3.5 million for, you know, a 1.1, 1.2 million a year, just a notch above the veteran minimum kind of thing for him to come back. And if it's above that for some weird reason, you use the RFA tender for one year and then worry about it next year. Greg Tomset, cover1.com.net, right? .net. I caught myself. Good thing. <laughs> um, why don't you let everybody know uh, what you guys got cooking? I know you got a big show tonight, so, yeah. so definitely uh, mention that as well. Cool. So we're uh, sticking to the same idea, uh, one one show a week here, uh, helping out some of the other guys as well. Tonight we are doing a fun show of, you know, the game that uh, the, the kids play, the uh, F, Mary kill. You know, an F obviously means financially responsible contracts in a fully consensual manner. Um we're going to be going through and challenging each other with players still on the roster, the ones that everybody kicks around of, oh, we need to release him, we need to release him. Who would you restructure? Who would you extend? Who would you release? And we're going to go back and forth kind of haggling out those guys tonight. Uh, then we'll do some of the same things, maybe some more value finds, trying to find some more diamonds in the rough here. And then, you know, just like everybody else, we'll be reacting to the signings as we get in there. And then once we shift gears out of free agent mode, diving fully into draft mode, and I'll try to ramp up to maybe 10 or 15 mock drafts a day once I get into that mode. I challenge you to find some suitable background music for when Aaron Quinn starts talking about Levi Wallace. That's <laughs> that's really what I want to see on the show is just like set the scene, you know. Hey. I, I just want to feel I want to feel the no, I slip I, into I, something I, I comfortable, pour yourself a drink. <laughs> great stuff. No, I appreciate it very much, guys. Always fun to jump out with you guys. Uh this is great stuff. Go check out Greg uh tonight. Uh we got a little bit more for you though. Have a good night, man. All right, so Mr. Talbot, a lot to um, digest there um, over the last hour. Um, some great stuff. We're just going to, I just want to kind of hang out for a minute here, kind of go over a little bit of it, react to a little bit uh, of the questions. There were, I think, a couple more in the, in the chat. We can get to it. But, you know, after talking to Mike and Greg, I mean, where, where, where are you sitting here? Has anything shifted in terms of your expectation? I want you to talk a little bit about your uh, story that you put out today. Uh, Ryan has done this being bean article the last couple of years. And today he put out, um, this year's version and kind of roadmapped, uh, we talked about the top of the podcast. I'm going on a road trip this weekend. You roadmapped bills off season. Talk about that. And maybe has anything changed for you since hearing tonight's guests? Well, I think Mike made a good point about, uh, approaching players for pay cuts. I guess it's one thing if the player comes to you and says, I don't want to be outright released. I'll accept You know, this kind of salary. But I, I like what he said. So in that article, I had John Brown taking a pay cut. Uh, I had a few others taking pay cuts. So maybe the, the best thing the Bills can do is release a John Brown and say, we want you back, but go test the market. Because as both guests said, or as they alluded to, this wide receiver class is loaded. Allen Robinson is going to make big money if he's not franchise tagged. Uh, I think Chris Godwin's going to make big money. And, and I know I'm going to miss some names because there's so many of them, but you, you even get to that second tier of players, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis. Uh, they're all projected to be in that $10 million range. So 
there's going to be a lot of guys getting big money out there. And a guy like John Brown on the other side of 30, uh, coming off of a year where he dealt with injuries, maybe you do let him go and you can get him at even a, a more reduced rate than what I proposed, which was about one year, $5 million for a John Brown. Uh, I think that the Bills have to be fiscally smart about what they're doing because there's a huge extension on, on the horizon for Josh Allen. And I think that Brendan Bean is going to do everything in his power to get it done this year. Uh, because, again, as Mike said, you're looking at a guy that went from, do we pick up his fifth-year option to, holy cow, he's going to be making $40 million uh, in his new contract. If you wait another year and he builds off of last year and he's even better somehow, then you're talking 42, 43. Mm. So that number keeps going up if you don't deal with it now. And if the Bills can find a way to make that number work, I think he's going to get it done this year. What about you? The, the culture part of this, which is the ultimate eye roller for a lot of fans, when you start talking about you know what it's like in the building and, and all the, the time spent stewing over the culture that's been built here, to me, it's almost like they they set things up in a lot of ways to work with a lot of these young players that they gave a shot. I mean, look, listen to what Josh Allen says when you ask him about this great season that he had. He says, I want to come out and prove the guy to for the guys that drafted me and believed in me that they didn't make a mistake by drafting me. That tells me, along with everything else, the leadership, the 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 bonds in the building, and you know, especially with Brandon Bean, that I don't think it gets nearly enough you know, airtime, there's a, there's a closeness between Bean and Allen. And I think that the, everybody involved here at the top of the program from Sean and Brandon and Josh and, and some of the other pieces, Tredavious, you know, they're kind of linked in a lot of ways. And in Tredavious white, when that deal was made, hmm. a lot of people talked about that there was a little bit of a hometown discount, if you will. I mean, we saw a couple weeks later and I know Jalen Ramsey is probably the number one cover corner in the NFL. He plays a different in a different scheme with a lot more, I don't want to say responsibility, but he's out on an island a lot more in, in, in a different situation. But there was an element to that. So I think that at the end of the day, Josh is going to want to get paid and he's going to want a respected, a respectful number. But you can't convince me that there won't be some type of back and forth in that process to set up the, the, the franchise to be successful. That's another piece of this. I mean, look what Tom Brady did for years and years and years mm. in Tampa Bay to 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 kind of support what the team and franchise was trying to do to build around him. I think Josh is someone that I know Bills fans don't love that he's a, Brady was his idol, but I think he took some notes on that. And I think you'll even see that moving forward with Brady and Tampa Bay as they try to keep that whole thing going together. I think that there's a way to do it that you keep him happy, but he also doesn't make you absolutely destroy things. And I do agree with Greg. I heard him say this on his show once you get up into that stratosphere, what's the difference between 38 million and 42 at the end of the day? I mean, you know, a couple million here or there, it's not going to, it's probably not going to be the difference between the ability to go out and sign a top tier free agent or not. I, I think that you're going to have to really become good at the Tampa Bay model. I think that, and that's another thing I wish we would have had a chance to talk to, to Mike about this or Greg about the, the idea of super teams. And Brandon was asked about that today on the podcast and how that's going to potentially play out. And it almost, you almost get the idea that Richard Sherman's kind of been sitting around with a lot of his buddies 
around the league talking about the fact that, hey, maybe this is a year that I take a little bit less on a one-year deal to go into a situation that's absolutely perfect for me. And then you all of a sudden see three or four or five teams that are just absolutely loaded. And, you know, if I will say, I think somebody joked about this. Sherman looked very impressed with not only the Bills, but Brandon Bean on that on that uh, podcast today. Oh, he was. Yeah, I, I thought he was blown away with Brandon Bean. I thought he came away really impressed. Uh, but, you, you know, you raised some great points. When, when Tom Brady was with the Patriots every single year, he would move some money around uh, so that way the team could go out and, and add pieces around him. Now, l- let it be known, he, he still made all that money. He just kind of moved it. It was moved around in different ways, bonuses and pushed down the line a little bit here and there. So he still earned every penny of it. He was just smart about how he accepted it. But you mentioned it, Tredavious White, when he signed, he left some money on the table and it took about a week before he was no longer the highest paid cornerback in the league. Deion Dawkins probably left some money on the table compared to, you know, not that he would have wanted to test the market eventually, but if he would have gone out to the market, he could have made more out out there somewhere else. So there's a loyalty. There's a, we've rebuilt this program, not just Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott, but these players. A lot of them don't know losing, the losing that came before them. They just know that they're that group that has turned the culture around, that has turned this franchise around, and they want to see it through. So whether you're talking Josh Allen, whether you're talking even about a Matt Milano, who if his market isn't out there in free agency, I would not be shocked if he came back on a one-year deal. I would rather see it through, take a little bit less in 2021, and then try to cash in somewhere when the salary cap goes up, when team there's more teams that are bidding for my services. So it, it is a really interesting argument. The super team thing intrigues me because, you know, the, the bills need a few pieces here and there. And if they can get some veterans, you know, maybe you miss out on a JJ Watt, but maybe you get some other guy, a, a defensive end. And if you let go of John Brown, I just talked about how this wide receiver class is so deep. There's going to be one or two guys that don't get that expected salary that they're projected at the 12 million, the 14 million, the 10 million. And the longer they sit out there, the longer they might say, would it be the worst thing in the world if I if I took a six or seven million dollar deal from the Bills and caught passes from Josh Allen and one of the most pass happy offenses in the league? I don't think so. So there's a lot to unfold here. There's a lot to keep an eye on these next few weeks leading up to free agency in terms of teams uh, releasing players that could be fits for Buffalo. So this is going to be a pretty exciting year for free agency. We were talking about the Super Bowl window, and you know, Greg kind of took me back a little bit by saying it's a ten-year window. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm, I'm there with them. This things have changed in this league so dramatically from year to year, and you know, I'm pretty sure that Philadelphia Eagles, when they won a Super Bowl with their backup quarterback, with their MVP caliber, you know, quarterback at the time, out on, in that game, mm-hmm. they probably thought their window was wide open, and you know, things change in this league quite a bit. You know, I, I think about what to me could be the move that is the biggest setback for the bills moving into 2021. And for me, I think I've landed on Daryl Williams because, and I know this isn't new. We've been covering the, or talking about this for weeks, but it's because of the uncertainty that would follow that move. Like you could probably go out there and get a mid tier tackle and hope for the best. I mean, nobody anticipated Daryl Williams, coming in here and playing at the level that he did. There was kind of some a glimmer of hope based on what he did in Carolina. And we talked to some folks in Carolina who were very bullish on Daryl Williams 
at least playing to a level that would be above average uh, of an NFL starter. But if you take him out of the mix, we were talking about this today, li- listening to Brandon Bean's comments on Cody Ford, and you heard him talk mm. at the end of the season about, and we'll, we'll bring up what he said in a, in a minute, but at the end of the season, he talked was asked about Cody Ford and he brought up the injuries and how unfair it's been to a young player that's been moving all around that just hasn't really been healthy. He had to have surgery after his rookie season. He had to have surgery that ended his second season. He just hasn't really been healthy. So I think the full picture will kind of come into focus for Cody in year three. And we talked about this with Marcel and Nate last week, but asked about it today you know, he kind of made it seem to me like it's like, yeah, Cody's in the mix. And for a second round pick that you, you seem to have really high hopes for, you almost want to hear more than that. So if Daryl Williams is out of the picture and you look just at what's on the roster right now and maybe even add in, even at 30, a tackle, that's a crapshoot too. I mean, there could be a situation where you t- you draft a tackle at 30, you get into camp, you get into preseason, and that player is not ready, and you have to kind of pivot and maybe go back to Cody Ford, who I would imagine if you go that route anyway, he's still going to be getting tackle reps because you know how much they like the versatility and, and getting multiple looks. So there's there's so much uncertainty created around Josh Allen if Daryl Williams isn't back unless you have a as close to foolproof plan as you can develop in this kind of – economy if you will yeah well that's just the thing though there is no you said it there is no foolproof plan because if daryl williams doesn't come back it's a roll of the dice and you mentioned number 30 you know wasn't that where tennessee picked isaiah wilson last year i was mm-hmm. around that point and isaiah wilson had some red flags don't get me wrong uh tennessee knew that going in but he tweeted and then deleted that he was done with tennessee after one year he was pretty you know you don't want to call someone a bust after one year, but he did not come close to delivering uh, what they probably thought they were getting out of him. So, yeah, I mean, Brendan Bean's pretty good about who he drafts in terms of character uh, in ter- in that regard. But there's no guarantee that a, a rookie at number 30, even if it's the number two, number three right tackle in this draft class, that they can come in day one and contribute. Um, and some comments on my article today were, oh, boy, you know, there's some risky moves. There's going to be some risky moves every year, and I get offensive line is probably the last place you want to take a risky move uh, because you want to protect Josh Allen, but if you can't afford a Daryl Williams, you have to look at some of these Mike Remmers types, which isn't going to excite a lot of people, but he played in Carolina. He did a pretty good job in Kansas City. Uh, Rick Wagner. Yeah, yeah, until the Poor guy, but I mean all of them really (laughs) Yeah, all of them. Um, a guy like, like Rick Wagner, who the Bills apparently had interest in in 2017, a Jared Valdir. Uh, there are veterans out there you can get very cheap as a placeholder. There's probably, and there's better guys in this too, in terms of that middle tier. But there's no sure thing unless you're going to go out and spend top dollar. And, and even then, the, you know, some of those players flop when you go out and you spend all that money in free agency. But Brendan Bean has his work cut out for him this year, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because whether it's linebacker and replacing a Matt Milano, whether it's offensive tackle, uh, whether it's wide receiver number two, if, if they part ways with John Brown, he has to work his magic, so to speak, to address those spots, whether it's, okay, I think Gabriel Davis can be wide receiver two, but we still need to have that speed option. Can we trust a John Ross, someone who's never been healthy, uh, to to be able to be that speed guy, or or Kenny Stills, who was in our system for a few weeks on the practice squad, is that someone that we can depend on? Even though he has a history of hamstring, lower body injuries, things like that, 
it's not an easy position to be in if you're Brendan Bean, but if there's someone that's proven time and time again that he can hit on these free agents, that he can find some gems in the draft, especially later in the draft, he's the guy that can do it. We found a gem for the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast, and his name is Ryan Talbot, and he wrote a great off-season plan for the Buffalo Bills. Make sure you go over to NewYorkUpstateSyracuse.com and check it out. Uh, it is called Playing Bills GM, uh, laying out the full plan for free agency and the draft. I checked it out earlier today, and it is awesome. Give you a good kind of framework uh, to work with as we move towards free agency. Speaking of which, I put out 50 free agent targets for the Bills. Kind of dove into that a little bit. Uh, try to give you guys a, a look at some of the options out there. Probably missed a couple. I know somebody mentioned why isn't Darren Lee in there? Curtis Samuel. Uh, Samuel for me was maybe a little bit too pricey uh, at a position where they're probably looking to shed salary. And so I know that there's interest there. I know that you know from things I heard last year in Indianapolis that the Bills, for obvious reasons, Carolina, they were in, they were in Carolina for the um, joint practices. You know they like Curtis Samuel, no doubt about it. But um, uh, wow, we have a question here. Any quick Sabers thoughts in closing? Just real quick. <laughs> um, I'm glad they won yesterday. That was a nice change of pace. Uh, I don't know what to make of this team. I, I don't understand. Jeff Skinner being, you know, a healthy scratch. I'm not saying the guy is God's gift to hockey, uh, but where you're playing him, how you're playing him is not suited to his strengths. Put him with put him with Eichel. Put him on that line. See what he can do. Shoot some pucks at the net. Maybe he can win some more games. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of uh, losing hope here on the Sabres. It's just been a downhill spiral or, you know, a downward spiral, I should say for the last couple of years, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. You're not going to get many Sabres thoughts from me. Um, <laughs> I have not watched a, a minute of Sabres action this year. I'm more of an NBA guy. Sorry, don't don't shoot me. Uh, but uh, I know Buffalo is a very big hockey town. It's just never been my cup. But from the outside looking in, I, I sense all of this negative energy around all of it. And I understand because there's this – looming fear that Jack Eichel is just going to bounce and everybody's, you know, after you, you tank basically to get a guy like that to, to, to think that it's over with absolutely nothing to show for it. I get it. And, you know, Ralph Kruger uh, for all intents and purposes hasn't worked out. Uh, and I know that there's frustration there, but you know, it's a weird year. It's a weird like COVID year too. Uh, they have a lot of, they have a, a major new piece in Taylor Hall, who I guess from what I've read has not been what they probably were hoping for. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces over there and um, hockey's hockey's tough, man. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a game. I don't really understand any sport to me, any team sport to me where an eight seed can win the championship. I, that just is weird to me. Didn't that happen a couple of years where an eight seed, I don't know if it was the Ducks or somebody, went on this unbelievable run. It's like, wait, so you were terrible all year and then you just got into the tournament and you somehow won a couple seven-game series in a row? I don't know. I, I don't like talking about this too much because I don't want Bills fans to get upset that are also Sabres fans. It's just I've just never gravitated to the sport. No, that's fair. And, I, you know, even Las Vegas in their first year, they made a really deep run in the playoffs. Right. It's like, how? How does that happen when when – you look at the history of the NFL and those teams when they come in for the first year that they're picking the bargain guys off of rosters and they're usually pretty terrible. So it's definitely one of those uh, one of those things where it doesn't make much sense. I do I agree with that. Let's let's do a few rapid fire here, Matt. 
Here's a, a question from Mary coming up here. What about Bud Ooh. Dupree? Too Listen, expensive? I got to tell you, I like when you take over, man. Like, that was great. You just went in there, you fling it. Fl- Usually I produce the show, but Ryan has been evolving here. And that was one. I'll sit back. Let's let's do some rapid fire. <laughs> All right. Bud Dupree, is he too expensive for the Bills? That's where I land on it. What do you think? It's a little bit of that. And I, and it's a great question, Mary, because I didn't put him in my um, uh, my 50 free agents either. And he is a good pass rusher. So um, I think that it always makes sense in that scenario, but he, he's part of like of a little bit of a different defense. I mean, he was a, he was a coverage linebacker that kind of morphed into a edge pass rusher. Right. And those guys are kind of a little bit hit or miss. Hassan Reddick is another guy who had 12 and a half sacks who kind of, I put on there because I think the price might be a little bit more reasonable, but I always wonder how those guys will transition to a bills defense that is very traditional Four defensive linemen, hands in the dirt. You never see really a ton, even Jerry Hughes, you know, standing up. I mean, he's he's most of the time coming out of the three point stance. So I always get a little bit funny with that. But um, listen, they need they need to address the the pass rush. And if they think that a guy like Bud Dupree uh, is is it's doable, yeah, it, I definitely think it should be considered. Uh, some confusion about the John Clayton report from earlier that was uh, shared by Al- Andrew Filipponi. Uh, is it true that J.J. Watt narrowed it down to the Titans, Packers, and Bills? Andrew Filipponi, Mr. Mason, the, 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 the president of the Mason Rudolph fan club who came out last year and said that Mason Rudolph is going to be better than Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> just let, Listen. This is just a, P- a PSA, like a little bit, n- nothing against Andrew Filipponi, but just let's let's listen to who, or let's pay attention to who we're getting our news from. Like, let's just dial it back because that literally created an absolute storm today where to the point where some of the national, like, um, you know, just aggregators started putting out like social media cards of final three Packers, Titans, and Bills. And then John Clayton comes out and is like, oh, this has all been mis- misinterpreted. And it's like, Okay, so now all day long you're going to have people in your mentions like, "Wow, so the Bills are one of the final three. No, like like Mike said, they're one of the final like twelve. It, it seems like <laughs> he's still considering. Um, probably not. That list is probably not that long at this point, but um, it's not true. And I would, you know, the the Raiders are involved there. I mean, start talking about places to live. I lived in Las Vegas for five years. It, it would be a very cool thing to go pair up with John Gruden, obviously the big personality there. So I'm sure JJ Watt is considering that, but no, I mean, there's Pittsburgh may be out. And I think that they were out from the beginning, even though JJ Watt or TJ Watt did the, just bring it uh, the rock gift, which was phenomenal. Listen, I'm always going to st- like applaud a uh, rock gift. So that was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John Klain pretty much said that it was misinterpreted that those are the three teams that are quote unquote in the lead. Uh, it's kind of like when you're in middle school and you like a bunch of people and you like, like some of them and you just like some others, JJ Watt really likes the Titans, the Packers and the bills, but someone else could come in and sway him before this is all said and done. For instance, someone that covers the chiefs is believes outright that the chiefs are in on him as well. And they're kind of like staying hidden until the last minute. Will that happen? I don't know. But if the chiefs are truly interested for instance, why wouldn't J.J. Watt consider them? So a team could swoop in last minute. Uh, there's no reason to think that right now a decision is imminent, that he's going to make a decision tonight, tomorrow. Uh, obviously, before free agency hits, he would be very wise to because the, once the floodgates open and there's more players out there, he could leave some money on the table. Indeed. 
Is there another question in there you saw? A draft question? Uh, I just saw office pool, and I'm not sure what that means. I'll throw it in there. Let's see here. I missed it. Must be. Oh, here we go. Cam Greasy. Uh, I don't know many college player. Who's your dream player to fall to the Bills at number 50? And so I'm looking through here, and I think you you first start off with positions, right? Like I think that um, edge rusher is one that, you know, you, you hope that – if you're a Bills fan, that there would even be an edge rusher that was worthy of uh, that pick at, at 30. And it's kind of a crapshoot because you figure that the, the top, definitely the top one, which is um, Gregory Rousseau um, from edge rusher from Miami. He's ranked number 13 in Daniel Jeremiah's top 50. So yeah, I think that's probably the dream scenario is something kind of pops up with him and he falls to 30. And when you're talking about a top 15 talent, I think Jeremiah has been really consistent the last five years. Uh, his his tops, I mean, he was he was in on Josh Jacobs. It, it's what really popped out. Remember when he, he put out his first top 50, nobody was talking about Josh Jacobs and he put him at number five in his top 50 and everybody was like, what? Uh, hmm. th- this is craziness. And ever since then, you know, I, I listen to his podcast pretty regularly, even during the regular season outside of draft season. Uh, NFL media does like a media call with him all the time. So if you don't check out Je- Daniel Jeremiah's stuff, it's a little shout out to him. Definitely do it. So I think Rousseau is one of those guys. Any of the cornerbacks, uh, Patrick Sertain is, you know, most people's uh, number one cornerback. Uh, the linebacker uh, out of Notre Dame, Ryan, stay calm. Jeremiah Awusa. <laughs> Koromoa, uh, I think that any of the any of the two big running backs as well. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting um, names that people are going to kind of be like, you know, as it gets to 25, 26, if there's a couple of those names still there, people are going to get really excited. What about you, Ryan? Well, when I, when the Senior Bowl first rolled around, I mentioned Kadarius Tony is one of those players, and I know he's a wide receiver. And I know it's not a pressing need. Uh, but he has the speed of John Brown. He can be that weapon on the field on offense, can handle kick and punt returns. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. So if he somehow falls to number 30, uh, I, I think the Bills should consider it. And, but this does say dream player. So uh, I'll say Kyle Pitts. Uh, start some rumors about that tight end. He doesn't put his shopping carts back when he goes shop. Stuff about him out there. I just and maybe I'll fall. Did you notice that when you said I Kyle did? Pitts, I just kicked you out of the chat for a second. <laughs> well, it's not happening, but he said dream. <laughs> I can dream, right? I love so. it. I, I, you know, I'm just keeping you on your toes. All right, here's here's another P. Will here, real quick. Should the Bills call the Bucks about OJ Howard if the price is right? And honestly, was it you? Somebody put this. I can't remember who it was. I kind of like the idea of maybe. Oh no, it was Sal. Uh, put out a tight end story. More so than Howard, he's just never produced and, you know, at the level of which he was drafted. And I think the price might be a little bit higher than this one might be. But I'd call Cleveland about uh, what's the David Njoku. Njoku. David Njoku, yes. Um, that kind of, to me, is a little bit more. I mean, if you can get him for maybe a six-round pick, um, I guess at this point, OJ Howard probably wouldn't command much more than that. Um, but if, if you're Tampa, are you really – eager to trade Howard as a potential weapon mm-hmm. uh, in that offense. I don't know if you really are. I know you got Gronk and uh, I think they're probably going to move on from Cameron Brait because there's some uh, cap savings that can be had there. Um, yeah. I, I would say Howard probably sticks around in Tampa and would cost more. I just think there's other options that you can get in free agency, um, you know, that might 
give you as much bang for your buck. I know that in the, John New Smith was someone that we I mentioned in my article. If he's too pricey, Gerald Everett can be had a little bit less, at least in terms of what uh, Spotrick has for him. Dan Arnold's a guy that I'm a big fan of. If you want to run 12 personnel, and he would be even cheaper than those guys. And then Matt and I have already delved into the Kyle Rudolph talk if he is released by the Vikings. Uh, someone that I still think can be a very good pass catcher, but also now has some experience really being a blocking tight end too. So can kind of be that all around guy for Buffalo. All right. We'll take this last question here from the lone wolf. It's always in every show. We got to make sure we get him on here. Um, do you have enough confidence in AJ Epinesa taking a decent step forward next season to make a reasonable impact for the defense? And I, I think that that's kind of like a, a nuanced topic because sure, there's there's the question, do you believe in AJ Epinesa enough to make a step? And sure, you can have that confidence. But do you have the confidence if you need to move on from, say, um, a Mario Addison? Now, that kind of gets funny because you probably don't move on from Mario Addison if you're not bringing in another high-profile pass rusher. But I think we saw enough in the second half of the season from Epinesa to kind of foreshadow a big jump in year two when he has a full off season, potentially uh rookie mini camp or um, mini camp OTAs. We still don't know what that's going to look like if it's going to happen in a traditional manner, but I think that, yeah, I I'm very high on AJ Epinesa moving into next season. I still think they need a dynamic athletic like force. I don't, I don't know if that's really Epinesa's tra- trajectory. I think he's probably going to be more of that Phil Hansen mold to a, to a Bruce Smith type player, just to give Bills fans a you know a, an analogy that's familiar to them. Phil Hansen was a great pass rusher. He was a great defensive end. He's great against the run, but he wasn't that electric like sack getter on his own. Where I think that you know I think AJ Abenesa has a has a, has a fun ceiling, but it's not really the, a ceiling that's going to. I saw somebody mention in the chat elicit fear. You know, a, a, a defensive lineman that you know strikes fear into an offensive coordinator. I think the Bills drafted at Oliver to be that guy. I think he's got to be the guy that takes that monumental step into year three and becomes a, a real interior force. And I think that can potentially happen to a degree with star back in the mix uh, and him just going through a full season where things didn't go right. How much did that Oliver learn from this year? I would imagine mm-hmm. it was quite a bit. And so I'm excited to see that jump next year too. Yeah, I, I think Epineza can take a reasonable jump this year. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to take that jump to be the to, to leapfrog a Mario Edison if, if they don't land a J.J. Watt, but I think you're going to see enough out of him that he can be a valuable part of that rotation. Um, you, another thing you have to consider is this year the Bills asked him to drop some significant weight, uh, play at a different weight than what he was used to, and he had to train to get down to that weight, and he had to do a lot of different things. So he's going to work this offseason on figuring out how to play it that way and, and what pass rush moves work, what don't, what can he do now that he couldn't do 20 pounds ago when he was that much heavier. So I, I think that his arsenal is going to develop a little bit. Uh, if you do bring in a J.J. Watt, though, I, I think that he could even take a, a bigger step. He's already said that he wants, you know, J.J. Watt is the player that he emulates. If you can actually bring J.J. Watt into the room, have him learn from him on and off the field. I think that can bring that development up to speed even faster. And then you can get even more production out of him. So that's the other thing that a guy like a JJ Watt brings. It's not just what he would bring on a one, two, three year deal. It's what he could do for AJ Epineza for five, six years down the road from now. Somebody on Facebook put a little angry um, emoji. I see that. 
Come on, man. Like, or woman. Why? Why, why, do you have, why do you have the hate emoji on there? Everything that we were bringing to you tonight was to, you know, elevate that level of understanding. We learned a lot tonight, and we do this all day long, 365. Come on. Stop the hate. Put a little love on that on that video. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. To everybody that watched tonight, thank you so much. I'm just joking around. It's getting late. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. We really appreciate it. Find us on all the audio platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, all of them, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Because, listen, we just did an hour and a half show. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and imagine that we had everybody's tuning in for 90 minutes to the live edition, but guess what? If you download on the audio edition, it's going to be up there in about the next 15 minutes or so. You can download it and kind of listen to it at your leisure over the course of the next couple of days. Uh, we really appreciate all your guys' support. Uh, it's been such a fun year and we got a fun show next week. I can't give you too much because I got a little like bit planned tomorrow um, that is kind of going to preview it. And I don't want to give it away because that whatever whoever's involved might be watching so eh, it's a long story short but i just don't want to give it away. <laughs> final thought ryan yeah final thought thanks for the continued support maybe maybe the angry faces because the show's ending maybe they're just like oh i don't want it to end so they're angry about that that's what i'm there gonna it is. on there it is oh somebody hit the love button see listen we got the we got the best viewership on the internet in terms of bills uh, video consumption. We appreciate you guys, man. This has been so much fun. I like this. Brian, you came up with a, a cool new little uh, little deal at the end here, a little quick fire uh, Q&A. Um, if you're listening and you kind of want a little bit more detail on what happened, you can always watch um, right here uh, on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, just check them out. All right, we're going to get out of here. We will be back. If the Bill signed JJ Watt, we will be live almost instantaneously unless Ryan's in class or something, but I'll probably <laughs> be live. That's what they're going to do. They're going to do something funny where it's just absolutely like just horrible timing, but I'm going to be on the road driving to Cooperstown. If something happens, I'm going right from the car. We're going to get after it. And we were going to talk about that. If not that we will be back next Wednesday for a monster show tonight. We went an hour and a half. That show is going to probably be two and a half hours. So listen, eat a late dinner, bring some snacks, maybe some popcorn, you might be in and out. I understand it's a long show, but it's really fun. I'm excited about the whole um, idea, and uh, we'll get after it. So for Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We will see you next week.